You're listening to the Lean Six Sigma for Good podcast. We help you learn how Lean and Six Sigma concepts can be applied to nonprofits, NGOs, and not-for-profit organizations. Visit us at LeanSixSigmaForGood.com. In this podcast, I talk to my friend, Joy Mason. She is the CEO and founder of Optimist Business Solutions and the founder of the Six Sigma Racial Equity Institute, SSREI which is an innovative leadership program designed to upskill black women to be complex problem solvers. We discuss her background in continuous improvement, why she started Optimist after her retirement, and why she named it Optimist, what led to the creation of SSREI, along with some project examples. We discuss the importance of data, especially for identifying and reducing inequities. She discusses some of the books she's written and why she wrote them, She also provides excellent suggestions for others looking to tackle equity issues in their company or local community by focusing on processes instead of trying to drive out bias from every individual. I apologize in advance for the audio. My Wi-Fi was really poor at the hotel I was staying at, and I had to call into our interview. So the video doesn't actually match my audio, and it can be choppy at times as you listen. Fortunately, the audio was much better on Joy's end, which is the most important part of this episode. And there'll be a a link to the full YouTube video where you can watch us and our conversation. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Okay, welcome, everyone. Um, Today, I've got Joy Mason here. And um, Joy, can you give us a little bit of background on your process improvement history and work history, and then lead us into your current work with your Six Sigma program that you've got going on in Indiana? Okay, I'd love to, Brian. And I, I just want to start by thanking you for even asking me uh, to be a part of your uh, podcast because I all, also follow your work. So I know you're doing good things in the community as well as I am trying to apply uh, continuous improvement and lean uh, different strategies to try to make the world a better place. So thank you for asking me to be here. Just to give you a little background about me, I'm from Indianapolis, Indiana. So I'm a Hoosier. And again, don't ask me what that is, but I'm proud to be one. Uh, So born and raised here, but I went to college in Oxford, Ohio. I went to Miami University and I always knew I wanted to go into the sciences, the biological sciences. So my undergraduate degree from Miami is in microbiology. Uh, When I graduated, I went straight to Eli Lilly and Company I don't know if you're familiar with the company, but it's a major pharmaceutical company, global company, and headquarters is in Indianapolis. And uh, I started in different roles like technical services, quality assurance, and quality control, uh, supporting commercial manufacturing. The middle of my career was uh, being a leader, a manager over microbiological testing and environmental monitoring. And the last 10 years of my career was doing global project management for our international laboratories. And during that period of time, that's when I became uh, certified as a Six Sigma Black Belt. And I'll tell you, Brian, I think that is the most significant thing that I did for my career, not just for my career, but for my life and life purpose was to get that certification because I apply it, uh, as you would say, for good, um, for good purposes in our community. So that's kind of my my background, Uh, but I retired in 2017 from Lilly. I've been there 30 years 
And that's when I started um, two organizations, and I'm sure we'll talk about both of them. But the first one is Optimus Business Solutions, and it's a training and consulting business that helps um, different firms, nonprofit and for-profit, to be more efficient and more effective. And I use all that project management, change management, uh, continuous improvement, all those different types of skills to help these businesses. And then I think it was in 20, 2021 where I started the Six Sigma Racial Equity Institute. And that's where we teach uh, the participants in the Institute, they earn a green belt, a Six Sigma green belt, but their project is an equity project in the community. And I'm very excited about that. And there's a lot of excitement in the community about that Institute. So that's kind of my background there. Great. And it sounds like you had some family history with improvement, process improvement. Ah, uh, yes, that's right. Yes. So I've probably been involved in continuous improvement in one way or another since my first role at Lilly in technical services. I was already uh, recommending improvements, but it took me kind of digging into my family history to discover that I knew my grandfather had worked at Lilly and he worked there during a time where everything was so segregated. You know, cafeterias were segregated, everything was. Uh, so there were only certain jobs that Black people could work, like maintenance or working with the animals. And so he uh, was involved in continuous improvement and suggestions on how to make the mechanism that they had for feeding the animals, how to, uh, he made a recommendation for changing that mechanism so less food was wasted because animals would throw the food out of the cage and onto the floor. A lot of food was wasted. And when you're wasting stuff, that costs money. So he recommended a change. That's continuous improvement. It was very effective. And in fact, he got a um, bonus for that suggestion. And it, I think it was the second largest bonus that big companies were giving when people made continuous improvement suggestions that were actually implemented and then made the local paper. Uh, and I had that little clip of the paper with my mom and my uncle. I think they were maybe 10 or 12 at the time. And the picture is my family in front of their new house. And they got that new house from the money from that bonus from his continuous improvement suggestion. And they used some of that money for down payment on a new house. Yeah, so we got That's continuous amazing. improvement wow. in the jeans. Awesome. Yeah, it's a cool story that I'm very proud of. Uh, maybe you could, if you feel comfortable sharing that photo, you could put that in the notes. Okay, I can do that. Yeah. I think people would like to see that. I think that'd be really cool. Yeah, I can share that. I would at least. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, you talked about um, your work and uh, Lily for so many years. Um, then you retired and then went out on your own and started continuing some of this work. I guess you weren't quite done yet. Um, yeah. So tell us a little bit about that transition and also kind of what led into the, the new program you've got going. Okay. Well, uh, the year that I retired from Lilly, I knew I was going to leave. I did have a vision for myself doing something 
different. I didn't know exactly what that would be, but I knew I wanted to do something different. I knew I wanted a different phase to my career. So I was actually working with a business development coach my last year at Lilly. And then they offered a package. Yay. So I was able, um, I was leaving anyway. They were giving uh, packages. And so I look at it this way. Lilly was paying me to live my dream. So I left. I started Optimus Business Solutions. And it really allowed me to continue that continuous improvement type work that I had always enjoyed. Uh, and my business, Optimus Business Solution, that name, Optimus, is really based on the optimism that I have. I really think it's a continuous improvement professional. Don't you have to be an optimist? Uh, because you, you always see opportunities to make things better. And you have a vision that things can be even better and we can improve. And you see the best of who we can be. Uh, so that's how I named my business, Optimus Business Solutions. And it started with nonprofit businesses, uh, nonprofit agencies and organizations that either were growing or they weren't getting the outputs or outcomes that they are really being funded to achieve. And so that's how I was brought in to help um, with their processes, a lot of lean um, value stream mapping, process mapping type work uh, to help them identify opportunities for improvement. So I did that for a couple of years. I'm still doing it, but uh, I pivoted a little in 2021 and started using that same type of change management, uh, project management, continuous improvement approach and started applying that to diversity, equity, inclusion. And it turns out that there was a, a really positive uptake from different organizations for that type of approach because it was different. You'll find that a lot of DNI organizations, they focus on the soft skills and go back in history and we and we revisit history. And while that is meaningful and important. It's hard to measure, are we making progress? What is the roadmap to making progress? And if we've made progress, what does that look like? And so if you use some um, standard approaches, like you know, whether it's Kaizen or Demaic, or maybe it's Kata, because I do have a friend who leverages Kata for diversity and equity. I use the Demaic framework. And with the Demaic framework, you can tell if you're making progress. You're very clear about a problem statement. You include data, define, uh, measure, analyze, and improve control. That can be applied to diversity and equity. And so that's what I have done. And I've gotten about, I think, four or five between nonprofit, for profits, uh, state agencies, so a diverse uh, portfolio of clients that really appreciate that uh, approach to diversity and equity. So I, I started doing that in 2021. And that also led to uh, the creation of my Six Sigma Racial Equity Institute, where I, well, I contract with a local university to teach the women uh, Six Sigma so they can earn their green belt, but then their project is an equity project 
uh, in the community. And I just, you know, I'm, I just totally believe in this approach. I'm very excited about it. It feels very purpose-driven. And in the community, we have, a, 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 I call them sector leaders, like the superintendent of a school district, or um, we have people who are leaders over homeless shelters for women. Those types of sector leaders are just very excited about having a team of women come in and the women benefit because they earn their green belt. The organization benefits because here you have a group that's coming in and the organization does not pay. I raise money to get all this paid for. So you're getting this team of like three or four women and they're coming in and they are spending uh, about four or five months really focused on an equity gap that is impacting the community. So really everybody wins. The women, uh, there's a benefit for them. The agency, those that the agency serves benefits. And then the funders benefit too, because they can actually see in a concrete way how their money is being leveraged to make a difference in the community. So yeah, very excited about the Institute. Yeah, that's, that's great. I think that's, um, you know, just being able to measure the impact. And, and I think you're right that there's a lot of great ideas being put forward to solve challenges and issues that are going on right now. But it's unique, in fact, to bring that data to it and says, and here's the proof that this is working or we're going in the right direction. Um, even if it seems intuitive, like that sounds like a good idea. That sounds like that will work. We all know that from experience, that doesn't always work. There's a whole lot of other things. You could have a really good program and the buy-in just isn't there or a, an okay program that actually has strong support and buy-in and it makes it happen. You know, So I think that's really good that we always have that feedback loop that says, but what does the data say? And making sure we're measuring the right things too so it's not driving bad behaviors or taking us the wrong direction so i think that's what i think is really powerful on the six sigma side is to focus on the data yeah and brian you hit it on the head that focus on the data i would say is probably the biggest piece here that we have spent the most time on and probably has been the most challenging because uh, when you've been in the field of continuous improvement and you're using data, and I come out of a pharmaceutical company where it's data, data, data uh, when it comes to our commercial products and being able to release them. And I was in quality control. So it was data all day long and analyzing data all day long. And the data integrity and the data pedigree had to be solid because we're regulated. But then coming out of pharma and working with other organizations, especially when they're non-regulated, that understanding of the data, um, the robustness, the integrity, how to analyze it to inform strategic decision-making, it's just not um, there uh, compared to let's say a hospital or pharma. So this whole concept of applying a, a data lens to equity when you don't necessarily have a, a strong data culture within an organization 
this has been a lot of work uh, to work with organizations and do some education. So it's not just solving a problem, it's really also educating the external project team and the organization that we're working with on not only DMAIC, but the data part is huge. So something that I am seeing, uh, and we're not even done with the projects for cohort two, is a huge opportunity to uh, support and come alongside these organizations that we're working with and help them um, really build a data culture. So whether it's for equity or other purposes within their organization, and I think the more robust that data culture will be, it will help them with the outputs and outcomes that they're looking for. So it, it's also about impacting the mindset uh, and how data is used. Yeah, and I think that you see that in organizations that are more mature, you know, these long-standing manufacturing pharmaceutical companies that have been either regulated or just through years have realized they need detailed data in their processes. And then you go into the other areas where that hasn't been the case. That's a big change to try and implement and trying to explain and show how that is worthwhile because they weren't doing it before and they may feel like they've gotten by already, but um, it's kind of helping them see that it can be a lot easier or more effective um, to take that little bit of extra time to put that data in or collect it or organize it and then use it for something helpful um, or just even helping them solve the issues that they're struggling with that they haven't had because that data was not present. And so, yeah, I think that's a big hurdle to overcome. That's something I think a lot of us with a lot of industry experience struggle a little bit with, like, what do you mean you don't keep track of how long it takes to do certain process steps or keep feedback of customer complaints in a system somewhere? It seems very uh, antiquated, but when you see the history of the organizations, it makes sense because that hasn't really been a focus. Absolutely. You got it, Brian. Um, and, you know, speaking of data, something that this is a lessons learned, because even with this institute, I'm about continuous improvement. So with every cohort, every year, uh, we're taking those lessons learned and making adjustments. So with this cohort too, uh, where I identify, I identified the projects this time, as opposed to cohort one, they identified their own. But with um, this year, when I was identifying the projects and working with the uh, project sponsors, I have discovered that for next year, 2023, we need to spend more time with the sponsors so they understand um, what are some of the basic, uh, what do I want to call it, criteria or requirements that we need for a good Six Sigma project. Because as you know, Lean or Six Sigma, it does not fit every situation. And that data is a big part of what we need. Because if data isn't there, but it's not just the data, Brian, if you're an organization and you say you're focused on equity, you have to have data that can be disaggregated by ethnicity and race. Same thing around, this is a good example. If you like this topic, please check out Lean Six Sigma for Good, Lessons from the Gemba. Volume one is released and available through Amazon. 
We will soon have an audible version coming out early 2020, and we're working on Volume 2 as we speak. Volume 1 has eight chapters written by different authors who share their experiences applying Lean and Six Sigma to not-for-profit organizations. We know that there is a gap in pay. So there's an unequal, uh, inequitable pay for women and men. And then when you look at Black women and Hispanic women, then we're paid even less compared to a white man. If you're an organization and you say, I want to close the pay equity gap, then you have to be collecting data by gender. Right. So if someone comes in and, you, you know, you tell me, yeah, we're trying to close the pay equity gap. And then that entity says, well, can I see your data? And then you hover, hand over data that's not disaggregated by gender and by race. I mean, then how do you close the gap? <laughs> you know, so that that's uh, something that. We're going to take more time next year and do an overview with the project sponsors. Um, so we take more time and explain some of the basic things that are needed to have a project. And again, disaggregate, disaggregated data is one of those basic things that we need. And that's something that when I say disaggregated data, being around data for so long in my career, I take it for granted that folks know what that means. And I may say it very quickly and move on. And so that's what I've learned that I and my team, we need to take more time and kind of walk through some operational definitions and not make assumptions because of our experience about what people already know. And I think the more time that we could take with the project sponsors um, and really answer their questions, then that will make for um, a better starting point for a project teams because, and it's really me, I'll take the responsibility, it didn't take enough time. That means with our project teams, they had a little bit of a rockier start because uh, with the um, project sponsor, that foundation was not laid for what we were trying to really do and the requirements for us to come in and actually do the work. So that's on me, right? That's on me to make sure that I've got good systems, good processes, and I'm continually evolving the program. So I set everybody up for success. That's my responsibility, but it's fun. You know, it's fun. And that's a challenge a lot of organizations have, but I think especially trying to figure out what is my primary improvement metric. And if that is unclear or not available, um, I think traditionally people just still kind of move forward with it and we're saying you got to back up and try to get some of that information so we can see how bad is it and we're never going to improve it if we don't start some of this data collection now and especially keeping in mind how are we going to you know separate and aggregate out this data later um, if that's missing it's yeah I can see where that would create a lot of rocky start. but that's I mean, I run across that everywhere in sure organizations that have been doing this and have data. It still might not be the right data. Yeah. So it's all a learning process. It's a learning process for everybody. And Brian, I really think that's what we're here for. So we have this skill set. We enjoy it. 
uh, it's it's not only skill, but after a while, it's it's our talent, it's our superpower. And so bringing that superpower into spaces to help make things better, uh, that really excites me. And so, you know, I, this is just really a dream come true. And Brian, I'll tell you, the second project that I had, once I had my own business coming out of Lilly, my said second project was working with different agencies in the city who are focused on homelessness. So between the mayor's office, and uh, I think there were like three or four other agencies. And then we have the um, Indian, I think it's called the Indianapolis Housing Authority. I thought I had died and gone to heaven. I mean, it's just like, oh my goodness, I can use my superpower to help agencies that are trying to help people who are homeless. It doesn't get better than that. <laughs> so I, you know, I just love it. You're doing too, because it, it's the same thing. How can you use your superpower and show everybody how we can use it for good and make the world a better, a better place? And we have the skills, we have a skill set that can, can contribute to that effort. Yep, and that's like just your discussion there is so powerful to talk about the need of, you know, the stumbling blocks you've ran across already so that as others like us are starting to look for opportunities to use their superpowers, I like that, that term, um, what things do they need to keep an eye on, out for and, and be aware of so that they don't struggle as much either. So I really appreciate you sharing some of that. And um, uh, so yeah, as more people get involved, we kind of learn from each other. Do you want to talk about any other projects that have gone through either in the cohort or other? Sure. Well, I can share with you uh, a few of the projects that we're working on with cohort two. Uh, and, and it's a nice, I think, diversity of projects. Um, I mentioned when I started my business, I had a project uh, focused on homelessness. Well, now for cohort two, um, since I'm familiar with the uh, individuals and agencies who are in that space, I did identify a project that is focused on uh, women and their children who are homeless and go into this uh, specific shelter. So we are working with them and looking at, um, do we have some equity issues between uh, white families and Black families, and I know there are other families, but we're really focused on Black families compared to their white counterparts, because that's where the biggest equity gap would be, um, because the agency is focused on housing. They take in the women, but the goal is to place them in stable housing. So the question is, are there inequities in that process where the women, Black women take longer to be housed? And that's what we understood to be the case in the beginning when we started the project. But the team just told me uh, this morning during office hours, they're exposing data where that may not be the case. But again, that's what all this data mining is for. Uh, so that's one project. Another one, we are very excited to see what comes out of this. And that is FAFSA completion. So I'm trying to remember what the acronym stands for. Was it financial or federal financial aid something? It's what you have to complete in order to go to college, right? And determines uh, yep. your, 
your family's affordability for college and whether or not you can be eligible for scholarships. I should know the acronym, but it's not coming to me. But uh, we have a FAFSA project and we're working with a local large school district. And we do have, there is data that says that uh, Black students and families do not complete the FAFSA as, at the same rate as their white counterparts. And Brian, what we're trying to get people away from, and that is blaming people, right? Because as continuous improvement professionals, we know to look at the system and the processes first. Now, we're not saying that you don't have a people issue somewhere in there or an HR problem, but that, that's not our superpower. We focus on the processes and the systems first. So when I received this information, my first thought was, well, what is the process that the school district is using? So uh, we have a team that's on that and they have made some recommendations that they are piloting right now. So I'm trying not to get too excited about what could come out of that because that has a lot of implications. And Brian, even if we make that much improvement, you know, even if we had just 20 more families, and while that may not be statistically significant, it will be meaningful for those 10 to 20 additional families that we have gotten to complete FAFSA as a result of this project. So, um, you know, very eager to see how that one turns out. And then I'll just mention one other because this one is different and that is supplier diversity. Um, we're working with a, a local entity uh, and they thought in the beginning that they're, uh, uh, that the, Okay, so when uh, organizations contract with an entity, you have the prime uh, contractor. So that's the initial contractor that has the contract with the entity. Oftentimes that prime will get contractors and those contractors are called subs, subcontractors. A lot of times black and female organizations end up being subcontractors because we're not big enough to be primes, it's harder for us uh, us to get the contract. So oftentimes uh, minority businesses, we are the subs. Well, the thought is with this entity is that it is taking too long for subcontractors to get paid. And I have been a subcontractor, Brian, and for when you have a small business and a lot of minority businesses, we don't have much capital. We don't have much in the bank. Um, we just don't have much. So if it takes you, you know, 90 days to pay me, I don't have much reserves to be able to handle that. I got to be paid as soon as possible because I got bills to pay. So that is uh, really the project to look at how much time it's taking for the entity pays the prime and the prime pays the sub. How long is that taking? And we want to shorten that if at all um, possible. So there are a lot of good ideas uh, around that because you would think that's another thing with solutions we need to make sure that it's within the control of the entity because we can't um, look for solutions that aren't within their control. So you would think that the entity cannot control when or how fast the prime pays the sub but that is not necessarily the case. 
there are some things that the entity can put in place process-wise, and that's what we're looking at. So it's not just de dependent on prime. Would you please pay the subcontractor in a timely fashion? So again, that's a very exciting one where we have come up with, the team has come up with some things that the entity had not considered process-wise, where you're less dependent on the prime and you've got a system that tracks everything, which provides a little bit more incentives for everyone to move or regressive payment where everybody benefits. So those are uh, three of the five. Um, I like the diversity in the projects. And again, even if we make some small improvements, it could lead to another project for cohort uh, three in 2023. But also what I'm trying to do, Brian, what our mission is, is not only to provide this Six Sigma uh, credentialing opportunity for black people, who a lot of times we're not exposed to that opportunity for this type of certification. And also what I'm trying to do, what is part of the mission is to change the thinking, to change the thinking when it comes to diversity and equity and take a little bit of the emotion out of it. Cause I think that's part of it. It tends to be a very emotional issue. And you can see that around the country uh, when it comes to politics and race, it just gets really emotional. So with this scientific-like framework for approaching diversity and equity issues, I just haven't seen that emotion. It's like we're trying to get to the same end, but doing it in a different way that allows for more collaboration and taking a little bit of the, the uh, volatility and the emotion and blame out of it. So um, again, uh, it's an approach that not only I'm excited about our instructor, the ladies who are participating, the sponsors, the, the uh, members of the external team and the community, we're, we're just generating a lot of excitement about an innovative approach to diversity and equity. Yeah, that's great. Um, I hadn't really thought about that way, but that's, yeah, so great. Um, I think something else, Popped in my head when you're talking about, you know, helping to let's say pay the subcontractors a little quicker. I mean, and I've heard this many times too that when you address some of the inequity gaps, it's actually a, a help for everybody. Like it's not only just helping uh, Black-owned businesses; it's actually helping all those small businesses. So it's like it's lifting up everybody in an attempt to deal with some of the. Uh, gaps that are there already. So I think that's also really awesome that um, it, it is a good thing across the board. Brian, there's a saying Now I'm going to tell you right now, I am really bad with sayings. You would think I, uh, or idioms, yeah, you call them idioms. So you would think I did not grow up in the U.S. I don't know. I just grew up in a neighborhood where we didn't use these idioms, but there's a saying or an idiom and I may get it wrong, but it's something like a rising tide lifts all ships or boats. Boat. Boat. Yep. Yeah, a rising tide lifts all boats. And so I say that a lot, even though I may butcher it. But that's what you're saying is that if we can make improvements to this process, yeah, the subs are going to benefit, but the primes will benefit too. The same with FASPA. If we can sure up uh let's say for example, the communication, what is the process for how we communicate to parents about the need to complete this FAFSA? 
if we can improve that process, even though our focus is on those who are not completing the FAFSA, um, Black families and Hispanic, that process improvement is going to positively impact everybody. So hopefully, you know, because again, I know when it comes to race, I know, you know, people are on various um, parts of the spectrum, but hopefully we can get people there, Brian, in terms of what you just said, in that it helps everybody. And that's hopefully what we all want. When you're together consulting business, I think you have a few books available. Do you want to share anything okay, about those books? Maybe something people, the audience might be interested. Yes, thank you, Brian. I appreciate you bringing that up. I should be talking about my own book, shouldn't I? So thank you for that um, <laughs> and little push to talk about my books. Well, I have a workbook, and it's uh, let's see if I yes, I have it. So I have a a workbook. There it is, and it's called. Uh, it starts by saying the optimist, because again, as continuous improvement professionals, we're optimists. So it's called The Optimist, The Five Steps to Sustainable Solutions for Women in Business. And I'm going to go ahead and tell a secret. It's not until you get to the end that I tell you it's the Six Sigma framework, because I didn't want to run people off. You know, you say Six Sigma to some, some people and they go, ah, they run from it. But it's um, basically some worksheets. And it's very simple, uh, where for each phase, define, measure, analyze, improve, control, you just get these questions um, that a team can work together and ask themselves these questions to work through that DMAIC framework, but it's very, it's very simple. Um, and it's thin, seem very thin. Um, so I think it's easy for a team to follow if they're trying to solve um, problems. So that's the Optimist, uh, Five Steps to Sustainable Solutions for Women in Business that it's available on Amazon. And then I've got another um, book. Let's see, I don't, I don't have that with me, but it's called um, Purpose, A Shift from Driving It to Embracing It. And so that's a very different book. And I'll just share with you, I wrote that book. I had turned, I don't know if anybody can relate to this. I had turned 50. I was at my 30 year mark with Lily. I knew I was about to retire. And my adult kids didn't need me anymore. <laughs> so I was at a crossroads. You know, I tell people 20, 30, 50. My kids were 20 and out of the house. I had been the company 30 years and I turned 50. And so I just kind of paused trying to reevaluate like, okay, if I'm not taking care of my kids and my 30-year career is kind of coming to an end, then you know, kind of what's my purpose? What am I doing? And so with that book, um, you're really walking with me through my thoughts as I'm trying to figure it out. I mean, every chapter is me trying to uh, refigure out my purpose. And hopefully you can tell by the time I got to the end of the book, I refound it. I'm okay now. <laughs> <laughs> That's a happy ending. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's a happy ending. So both books are on Amazon and they're very different. One is more about life purpose. And then the other is a, a workbook, which is more similar to the Demaic framework that we've been uh, talking about. And I do have um, two websites if you want to check out more, because there's yep. more than what I can describe, you know, here on the podcast. 
But for Optimus Business Solutions, the website is Optimus Indie. So it's OptimusIndie.com. And then for the Six Sigma, it has its own website now, and it's called SixSigmaIndie.org. So you can, you can get more information. And I will share with you, Brian, what we, I've talked to the instructor. We've got the Green Belt program. We did add another program this year, and that is the Yellow Belt. What is different with our Yellow Belt is focused on equity. Because again, we're an equity institute. So you could say, well, I can get a Yellow Belt anywhere. Yes, you can. And you can get it online almost anywhere. But ours is specifically set up to focus on equity and you cannot get that anywhere. So we just introduced that as a pilot this year. And so based on that pilot, we're gonna make some changes and then roll it out next year. And that program, Brian, is not based on, um, you don't have to be a woman because with the green belt, you do. You have to be a black woman because we're trying to give them opportunities they don't normally get. But for the yellow belt, um, you know, Brian, there's no project requirement. Uh, it, there's no geographic uh, requirement where it has to be someone in Indianapolis or Indiana, no race or gender, anything. It's just wide open to people who are interested in the DMAIC framework. And it's a day and a half, you know, much shorter than the green. And uh, so it's less of a time commitment, but you can get a taste of what it's like and how we're applying to that to equity. So next year, we're hoping to expand that beyond Indiana because that would be virtual. So those are the kind of things that, that we're looking at to just Exciting, add to. Yeah. yeah, very excited about that. But again, um, you can see that Yellow Belt program. I briefly mentioned that on the Six Sigma Indy.org website as well. Perfect. Okay, yeah. Um, anything else you wanted to share um, in terms of just thinking about someone who wants to go tackle an equity problem? Um, anything else? You've given us some great tips already and things to consider. Anything else that comes to mind that you'd like to share? Well, wanting to get into this space or work on challenges like this at their company, maybe they're hiring practices that aren't quite on par and there's differences by race or gender there or um, you know, salary differences by, with people with similar experience and similar job positions, anything else that they can could recommend for them if they're going to go try and tackle that or take that on as a project? Brian, the things that you said are perfect. <laughs> uh, because <laughs> what we talked about in the yellow belt is getting everyone focused on processes, not trying to uh, let me back up. I read somewhere, and I know Wikipedia is not the best, probably the most reliable source, right? But I think on Wikipedia, I saw that there were 188 cognitive biases. So to go about diversity and equity, where I'm trying to beat the biases out of you, I just don't think that's effective. In fact, I have two books that talk about the diversity and equity training that's been done over the last 30 to 40 years where it's focused on, you know, I'm exposure biases and I'm, you know, we're going to just keep beating it. And before you know it, you come out of class and you don't have the biases anymore. That just doesn't work. 
Um, so you hit it on the head, and that's not just me saying it. I've got a book with 30, 40 um, years of you know research and examples that talk about why it doesn't work, and they support that conclusion. But Brian, you hit it on the head when you talked about the compensation process, the hiring process, the recruiting process, uh, the compensation process, the promotion process. That is golden right there. So if, you know, after you've done your, your book reading or, you know, you've, you formed your um, ERGs, employee resource groups, and you had somebody come in and do the basic diversity training, after you're done with that stuff, now focus on a process where there is an, an equity and it doesn't have to be demaic. I mean, I, I love demaic because I think it's so intuitive. It's just so intuitive. Um, but like I said, I have a friend and she is using uh, Deandra Wardell. You can check out her website if you just put in her name. She's using Kata for some of the same purposes but having a standard approach that's almost scientific-like to a process that is prone to inequities, I think right there, that is golden. That's what I, that's the golden nugget uh, I would like to leave with your audience, Brian, um, because the traditional way we approach it, it's just very emotional. So we got, we got to find another way to do it. Because if you look at our communities in our society, it's just very divided, it's very emotional, and it's very volatile. So we need to find different ways to bring people together um, to solve big problems, to help make our communities just, you know, better. So yeah, that's, that's my golden nugget, <laughs> processes within the company. I think that's a place to end this. Uh, well said. Um, I, uh, so they can uh, can they get to your LinkedIn and and any other contact information from your Optimus Indie website? Yeah. So Brian, I am. You know, if I can answer some questions or or be a, a resource. Again, you have my websites, and then also you can reach. Out out to info at sixsigmasindy.com. And, um, you know, my operations person, she helps me monitor those emails to make sure that we get back to everyone in a timely fashion, but I can answer more questions. Um, we love to come and speak about this because we, you know, would love to, to see the same approach in other areas, even with the yellow belt, you know, as we talk about expanding that that's something that we can also talk about i'm on linkedin and linkedin page it's under joy e my middle initial is e joy e mason and i don't have a business page because i just go back and forth between optimus and six sigma on my personal page that's all i talk about is one or the other uh, i do have facebook and that's um at and Instagram at Optimus Indie. I don't use those as much, uh, but I do respond pretty quickly to the email. So again, and I would love to talk to anyone who's interested, entertain the possibility of a yellow belt um, in your community. Excellent. And I'll include all the links to the website and your book in the notes for this. Okay, great. Podcast. Thank you so much, Brian. Right. I appreciate the Great. opportunity. Thank you so much. To share. Yeah.
Yeah, it was uh, really insightful. And I really appreciate your time and keep up the great work. Okay, thank you, Brian. Are you interested in learning more about Lean and Six Sigma? Or are you looking to expand your existing skills to apply them to environmental impacts at your work or in the local community? Check out our free online course called Lean Six Sigma and the Environment on thinkific.com. We'll teach you about the Lean Forms of Waste and Waste Walks, which stands for Water, Air Emissions, Solid Waste, Toxins, and Energy. We'll go over examples of reducing electricity and solid waste, teach you how to involve your facilities and environment safety and health personnel. We'll provide guidance on how to green your 5S and Lean Kaizen events and many other tools specific to finding environmental opportunities. Learn more at LeanSixSigmaEnvironment.org.